Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So we have a couple topics we're going to cover today. To kick it off, we're going to talk about one of my favorite genera of tarantulas of all time, which is Formictopus. Uh, I don't even know how to start this one. It's been a weird Formictopus kind of week. To kick it off, we had weather here that twice now we've hit 90 degrees three or four days in a row. And what I found is the new tarantula room gets quite hot during that time. I was actually editing out the video that had all my collection, basically the collection tour. And at one point, it was 89.5 degrees up here. It was hot. And even a little, maybe a little hot for some of the tarantulas because some of them, they were all crawling the walls and everything. And keep in mind that they can obviously take the heat and they can take the heat for shorter periods of time and stuff. But when it gets around 90, that's a little pushing it because obviously in the wild, the majority of at least the burrowing species can go underground and get away from the extreme heat. But I ended up actually, I have a little air conditioner in there and I just took the edge off a little bit, not so much for the spiders, but for me because it was like ridiculously hot. But the good thing that's coming with this, which I haven't experienced in the past, because as I've always said, my tarantula room is usually a bit cooler. In the summertime, if I was occasionally it would hit 80 degrees, sometimes 82 would be a really high temp, like, ooh, it's getting really hot in there. Well, we had a, f- a week straight where I believe my nighttime temps were in the high 70s and the daytime temps were in the mid 80s to even upper 80s. So that's obviously a huge difference from what they were before. And boy, have they responded with growth. It has been just every time I turn around, something has molted in this room. There are tarantulas that I didn't expect to molt that had just molted within, you know, two months ago and they're molting again. And we're, we're talking about larger specimens too not just these slings. Slings you kind of expect it from larger specimens. That's pretty good growth rate. So it's been neat kind of seeing stuff because I've never enjoyed this type of growth rate before. I'm going to be doing, it's funny because since we got here, the big push has been, been to do all the rehousings that I had planned because I bought a bunch of new enclosures and the idea was to get a lot of these guys into more, you know, display worthy enclosures and setups and 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 that's been the majority like every weekend now Billy and I do several tarantulas well now we have a bunch I hadn't planned on rehousing this soon that need to be done so there's, there's gonna be a lot of rehousings getting done here which is great because I, I enjoy doing them they make for great videos and anyway what this leads to is what I ended up getting was several of my Formictopus species molted and they're females so I had my Formictopus cancerides molted one of my supposed Formictopus species purples molted uh, Formictopus erratus molted and Formictopus species full green molted and Formictopus species South Hispaniola, a.k.a. the green femur molted. And it it has basically led to even more confusion than I had before all of the molted and all this started. Because I've long expressed the fact that Formictopus genus is a disaster. It's we don't know what half these species are. Uh, just to give an example, back when I first discovered Formictopus, basically what you could find on the market was Formictopus cancerides. Then they had the Formictopus purple. They had a Formictopus violet. Then they had Formictopus caudus violet. That was about it. It was usually, it was mostly cancerides and then the purples. And there was a long time people were talking about the fact that they believed that the purples were more than likely just different colorations of cancerides. Because if you've read raised any cancerides up, they go through a myriad of color changes. And you can have three cancerides from the same sacs that are different colors at different times, even though they're the same basic size in their, you know, their growth stages, which which is very interesting. So I think a lot of what happened was people would get a purple one, go, oh, this is a purple from Rictibus, and they breed it as a purple. So long story short, now there's a, a plethora of quote-unquote species or color variants 
of Formictopus to choose from, and it seems like it grows exponentially every couple of months. It's and and part of it is like I was looking back and I was talking to Billy about this. I'm like, when I first started like gushing about these guys, they've been in the hobby for a long time. Don't I'm not going to kid myself into thinking like I brought Formictopus into the or Concerities into the hobby, but I did find them to be amazing. And then I picked up the purples and I picked up the Dominican violets. I started every time I saw a Formictopus species, I grabbed it up and I tried to talk about it and get people to be aware of it because back at that point there were a million different Panthobedia species available and it was like you know it was again not actual described species but they were named after different locales so I remember one dealer at one point got this huge import in a Panthobedia species and it was like 10 different species that all look pretty much the same that were from different locales so it meant they haven't been studied the spider looks different from the one we picked up you know a couple miles away over here so we're just going to name it after that town and then you get the situation where there's a lot of confusion where people don't know which ones they have and so Formictus came out and I was like all right so far this is pretty neat and tidy you have the Cancerides you had uh, Atachromatis popped up every once in a while you had you know the purples it seemed to be kind of manageable plus they were inexpensive so it was like why are people sleeping on these tarantulas they're inexpensive they're it's not as confusing as some of the other genera right now and they're beautiful like stunning so i tried to get these guys out there as much as possible i love for but now and then the other part of it was my goal was to eventually breed all these but now i have a bunch of adult females that i don't know what the heck they all are i had my formictivus species south hispaniola that looked like your quintessential green femur just molted and doesn't look a thing like a green femur anymore the carapace it's it's almost a black overall coloration there's a dark green to it when you put it under a light it doesn't it wasn't what I was expecting the adult to look like. Now, mind you, it spent quite a few years as an adult, you know, over seven inch spider, looking like a green femur. Maybe it still is a green femur. They just changed the colors. You know, again, they go through those color changes. I don't know, but the problem is, I, I just don't know. And I've had people offering me males lately. Like, I really want you to breed this, and I'm like, I can't take your male because I don't know what the heck I have, and I don't want to be the one responsible for later on down the road realizing that I bred two different Formictopus species or colorations together and screwed the whole lineup so it's been very tricky and so one of the things I wanted to do was I've been waiting for a lot of these big girls to molt so that I could lay out the molts and get some photos and some videos of the spermatheca and what I there's an a paper that came out that was amazing it was in the journal of the British Tarantula Society that was called the genus Formictopus and its hobby nomenclature it's like my bible with Formictopus because authors it was Maria Gambazni Gudenis, Laszlo Gumbas, and Laszlo Gudenis. I hope I pronounced their names right. I apologize if I didn't. But an awesome article from people who had been raising. It's not a paper like a scientifically done paper. or It hasn't been, you know, peer-reviewed or anything like that. It's just these people have been breeding for Mictopus for quite some time. They've been buying all the different ones that are out there, and they've been keeping track of the Spermatheca, where they come from, the different variants, talking to people, experts in for Mictopus to find out exactly what they have. And they put together a, a pretty amazing paper on the different species they've worked with. It shows the males, it shows the females, it shows the spermatheca, and they also explain away a lot of the confusion behind some of the like purples, violets. Just an amazing paper. But the big thing about it was they included photos of the female spermatheca, which I desperately needed because I have nothing to compare some of these guys to. So what I did was I had my Formictopus erratus, which I knew it was an erratus. There was no questioning that one, but I had the, you know, the molt, that one just molted. I had my South Hispaniola. I had a full green molt. I had a P. Cancerides molt. I had a species 
purple malt and I had an adachromatis malt. I wanted to compare the adachromatis because they look so familiar. They look so similar to Kinserides that it's very easy to look at and go, wait a minute, maybe it's just a Kinserides. So, and then I had this paper, this wonderful paper with a picture. So what we did was I basically took all the, I also want to get measurements on some of these guys and some of them are big spiders. I'll be doing a video on the biggest spiders I have in my collection right now and what sizes you can expect them to get to because a lot of times I think, sometimes people exaggerate and we get these spiders, these big ones, and we're like, oh, this thing's going to hit eight inches. And then we get a seven inch spider or six inch spider and we're all upset. But I, a future video, keep an eye out for it. And I'll obviously be talking about it. I'm going to show the molts and the exact size of the molts and then look at the spiders and we can kind of guesstimate how much, you know, larger or how much size they put on during their molts. But that was another part of this. I wanted to lay out, get some pictures of the molts with the measurements, but I also got some good pictures of the spermatheca. And I was able to go back to my computer, load them up and compare them. So the nice thing was, the Cancerides I have are Cancerides. They lined up perfectly. The Atachromatis I had lined up perfectly with the Atachromatis Spermatheca that they had in the paper, which again was awesome. And then things got a little weird. The species purple that I had, that I bought, looked pretty much identical to Cancerides, so kind of confirmed that at least that one that I have is probably just a Cancerides, as evidenced by the fact that it spent like one molt purple. They had one molt where it had a slight purple sheen to it, and it wasn't even... It wasn't even like full purple. It was kind of like, oh, I can kind of see some purple there. And now it just looks like a Cancerity. So that makes all the sense in the world to me. And that means I paid extra for basically a Cancerities. But hey, I love Cancerities. You can't have too many of them. The species green femur looked, the spermatheca on it looked more like the species full green. And then the full green one that I had looked more like the spermatheca of the gold carapace variety. So again, I have to go back through these again. I've been like scrutinizing them. And one of them I do need to get better shots of because I think it was the, I think it was the South Hispaniola or the green femur. I was having a hard time. I was trying to hold the camera with one hand with the zoom on and take the toothpick and move it up so you can see the spermatheca. And I got to have Billy help me with it so I can get better shots. But it, there's a little confusion as to what I actually have here, which was what I was worried about to begin with. There it's a mess. It's a disaster. And what I'm seeing now, which is kind of like I should be excited about it, but I'm kind of depressed about the whole thing, is now everybody's, they've become popular. Like now, back in the day, I, I pushed for years to try to get people like, don't sleep on these. Formictimus, they're amazing. And I have all these people that come on. My buddy Robbie, who has a YouTube channel, Robbie's Talking Tees, he and I have a kind of a little back and forth contest going on right now where we're trying to, you know, get all the Formictimus that are out there. And he loves them. And everybody that picks them up, I love when people are like, I just picked up Formictimus. I absolutely adore them. Thank you so much for recommending me. It's like, yes, I, I did it. But now what's happening is they've become the designer tarantula. They've become what Pamphibedius was several years back where people were just buying all these different species of Pamphibedius that you never saw on the market again. Like you had uh, Zenestis, which I hate to say, I love Zenestis species, but we're at a point right now where a lot of these, if they ever re-examine the genus, are probably going to all end up being the same spider. I have a funny feeling a lot of these species white, species bright, species blue, Amanis, uh, you know, uh, all of them. I think there's going to be a point where a lot of them get condensed and they're just basically one species. I could be wrong, but again, until it's examined, we won't know, but that's one of the things you risk that you go out and you spend all this money like, oh, there's this new species that may just be 
and Amanis from a different area. And now you've just spent, you know, the Amanis would have cost you 200 bucks and you just spent 500 bucks on the same spider just because they picked it up from a different locale and they weren't sure what species it was. You can't just call it an Amanis if you don't know if it's an Amanis. So you get what you get. And now I'm seeing that this is going to start happening with Formictopus and it really kind of crushes me because it, I, I hoped... And this is silly, but I hope one of the things, if, if they got more popular, people would be more inclined. And this is back, again, my naivete when it comes to how trans, how the system works as far as the people that are actually studying them and the hobby. They don't care. They're not watching the hobby going, oh, everybody likes these. Let's go study them. But back in the day, that was foolishly, I believe that's what would happen. They would get really popular and people would go, oh, we got to study these things because they're really popular now. That's not how it works. It's That's it, it, not how the whole taxonomy system goes down they're not watching the hobby going well this one's popular now let's go take a look at it and I know that now and this was a long time ago but when I started kind of getting them out there that's what I thought maybe would happen and no instead what we've created is the hobby has created this huge market for whatever formictopus you can grab and again like with those pamphos and like with the Zenestis species and there's even a there's a shop out there right now that that's calling them referring to Formictopus as the new Zenestis, which it was like, no, like the cool thing about Formictopus, it was like the band that nobody had heard of. That was awesome that, you know, you could sit there and go, yeah, I'm listening to these guys and they're kind of underground. That's kind of the appeal of Formictopus that Formictopus had for quite some time. And now it's no, now it's the big band that everybody's trying to, you know, get into or get to see. So, that's all changed now. Now that we come up, I was on the Arisa Spider Shop the other day, which is, I just posted my review, video review. I wanted to wait until I got some video of the spiders because none of the spiders came out when I actually rehoused them. So I wanted to get at least my Linotheli species on there. But anyway, it was on the site the other night and I think they have four or five new quote unquote species of Formictopus. And it's like Formictopus species purple. It says first time breeding, but Formictopus species violet, I'm sorry. And it says first time breeding, but the violets were around before. And I don't know if this is a diff. This is where it all gets so confusing because violets were back several years ago when I bought the ones I have. And the reason why Formictopus the one sold is for Mictopus caudus violets that are now we now refer to as the Dominican purples. The reason why the folks that wrote the genus for Mictopus in its hobby nomenclature chose to use the word purple as opposed to violet because it was sold as caudus violet was because there were already purple species being sold. There was already a Formictopus purple out there and they didn't want more confusion. So I, I don't know if this is a new version. There's supposedly the Bayahibe that's another purple version. Well, anyway, they've got like blue, rose blue now. They've got this other species or coloration that looks gorgeous. Just like blew my mind because these are things I've never heard of. But again, they're locales. I don't know if they're going to be basically the same species that I already keep. And they're expensive. We're talking 225 250 bucks a piece. And again, this isn't a knock on... This isn't a discussion about prices. I get how the market works. You have a new species. People are going to clamor for it. It's just, again, I hate it to be one of those situations like with the purples where I spent like twice what I would normally spend for a regular Concerides only to get a regular Concerides that somebody had pulled out from a different area or had seen it was purple and decided to sell it as something different. You just don't know. I will say the photos that they show of some of the ones 
on the site look like spiders I have not seen, Formictibus species I have not seen before. Uh, there's a couple in particular that are quite striking. But the other issue I had is I, so I'm batting around, do I get these? Do I, do I pick these up? Like, what point does it become ridiculous where it's just every couple months they grab a new species of coloration of Formictibus and then we have that in the market? And it's just like, so I really was doing some soul searching because obviously everybody knows I'm obsessed with Formictibus. I want every single one of them. And when you have that, you know, when you love a certain genus of spider and you have that kind of collector gene in you, it drives you nuts when somebody's got one that you don't have. So then I click on it and I'm like, mm, do I pick one up? And I look down and they're from wild caught egg sacs. And that was like, that's a tough one for me. Like I'm really, and this is something I've been struggling with for a little while now and I've alluded to it, but the whole, my impact on the hobby, the hobby's impact on these guys in the wild, that that's a big one. And the fact that I'm part of the hobby and I'm the one making videos and talking about all these spiders and I can't tell you how many times people will see something I put in my video and they go out and clamor for it. And it's like, am I part of the problem now? So when you see if, if this had been something and I'm, I'm not an idiot. Like, bottom line, if all of a sudden there are new species of tarantulas on the market, it means somebody somewhere went out, grabbed a breeding pair of them usually on the wild, took them back to their country, bred them, and then we have slings. It's just seeing the wild-caught egg sac kind of threw me off because I'm guessing that means they went out and they found the egg sac in the wild. Uh, it, either way, it means they grabbed two out of the wild and this is their first egg sac, which is, I guess, better, but not really. Or they went and they found wild-caught, like they literally found the egg sacs in the wild, pulled them out of the wild, which means those are animals that were supposed to be born and populate that area, repopulate that area with that species that have now been plucked out of the wild or in the hobby. I struggle with that. And I know there's going to be people that come on and just don't bother trying to, every time I post something like this, somebody comes on and starts going, well, but in the grand scheme of things, I, I can't see the grand scheme of things right now because what I'm seeing is direct impact and that's bothering me. So again, I'm not saying anybody's, this is how we get our spiders. This is something, this isn't abnormal. This is, people are going to buy those. What I hope happens because I don't think I'm going to be able to pull the trigger on them. I, I was talking to Billy about it and I'm like, I just don't feel right because I feel like if I were to take some of those slings, I better be darn sure that I breed them because otherwise it's a big waste. We just pulled an egg sack out of the wild, took them out of the wild, and now I'm just going to have them in a trophy, you know, as a trophy in my collection. Look, I got this species here that may not ever be offered again because this happens quite a bit. It's happened with Pamphibetus where certain ones came out and then you didn't really hear much about them afterwards. With Formictopus, there's been a couple species that have come out that we haven't heard much about, you know, lately. I worry it would be one of those deals where I would pick up, you know, I couldn't afford too many of them. So maybe I pick up two slings, I get two females and I can never find a male. Or I'm in a situation like I'm already in where it's several years down the line and I'm not sure which species I have. By that point, there could be a dozen more new uh, Formictibus species in the hobby and I don't feel comfortable about breeding the ones I have. So a huge moral dilemma here, as far as I'm concerned, like struggling with this one. I had the site open this morning. I was just kind of staring at them and fantasizing about how nice it would be to have those in my collection and be, be able to you know watch them grow up, but I just don't feel comfortable with it. So it looks like they're only selling a, a small number of these slings to the general public. I'm hoping what's going to happen is, and I'm assuming this is the case, is they're going to keep a batch of them, raise them up, and try to have some breeding pairs going ahead so that we can actually get these guys established in the hobby. That's what I'm really hoping. And in which case I'll be more than happy. I'll still, I'd be happy to pay that price later on down the road. If I know that they were captive bred, even though again, like 
tomato, tomato. Like it, it, they're it, regardless if they captive breed them later on, it's it's obvious these would just pull out of the wild. I get that's how we get our population. I'm just struggling with it a bit. So anyway, it just added the timing was impeccable because as I'm going through this batch of molts, trying to compare them to the other ones, struggling with the fact that I really desperately want to breed some of these. A buddy of mine has a male right now for one of mine, but I'm not sure. I'm like worried it's not the same species as the one I have. So I'm like hesitant. And, and then to see these new ones come in like, oh no, this is never ending. This isn't going to get fixed anytime soon. It's going to get worse before it's going to get better because these slings are going to sell out like hotcakes and people are going to be showing off, you know, on YouTube and, and on websites and on Facebook and showing off their obscure species of formictibus that they picked up, which is great. And then what's going to happen is that's going to encourage more people to go out and grab egg sacs from different areas and try to get more of these spiders in or try to, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's something I've been struggling with a lot lately. And then just hot on the heels of trying to figure out the mess of Formictibus I currently have. It was just kind of like, man, this is, this is never going to end. It was almost a little, a little defeating. Like, I, like this is, instead of getting better, it's getting worse. So I don't know, just struggling with it. Still got the, the page opened up and I'm staring at them. But again, I, it comes down to, for me, I shouldn't pick any up unless I plan to breed them and try to get them in the hobby or else they'll just be wasted. It'll be just some guy showing off some spiders he was able to pay a lot of money for and nothing, you know, not contributing to the hobby, not getting, you know, them bred so there's more out there. Because I can honestly see, again, fast forward, I don't see there being males available for these even if I get females. It'll be just like, and this is the best example I can give is back when I bought from a place called Stamps Tarantulas way back, they imported Formictibus species blue. It is not the blue azul that is currently sold in Europe. It was a totally different species. This was probably about, God, maybe seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. And I bought a female and a male paired. The male, unfortunately, molted out. Although I tried not to, you know, he was smaller than the female. I tried not to feed him too, too much. So he didn't grow too quickly. He matured out quite quickly. And I waited and waited and waited for the female to molt so I could pair them. And the male died. The female molted like a week later. It was ridiculous. And now I have this female that doesn't look like anything out there. Like it spent a good three or four years looking like unlike any Formictopus I had ever had. And then with its recent molt, it picked up this really dark color and almost this like forest green shade to it, but not like a regular species green. I have no idea what this spider is. I have absolutely no idea. There's no way I could pair her anymore. There's no way, even if somebody came out with a species blue male, I can't go in good faith pair it because it doesn't appear to be the same spider that sold a species blue now. I am hoping, I've been pumping the food to her lately and I'm hoping while it's still hot during the summer, I get another molt out of her so I can look at that spermatheca and see if there's, I can compare it to anything else out there that might give me an idea what I have. But there's a prime example of a spider I paid a good amount of money for a ways back in hopes of breeding that I can't breed right now because I don't know what I have and I don't have access to a male. So I don't know. I apologize for venting to the, using the podcast to the vent, but it's it's something, again, I've been working through and people have commented on the, the same thing. I did the crisis of confidence and somebody came on and said, what about the crisis of confidence that you have a different type of crisis of confidence where you start thinking about where these come from and how we get them in the hobby, hobby and the fact that everything that we currently have at one point was pilfered from its natural environment. 
uh, illegally so in most in many cases, it's tough. It, it, and I don't know. I haven't tackled it yet because I'm still struggling with it myself. I've you know obviously built this whole thing around Tom's Big Spires and educating people about the hobby aspect of it, but it's very difficult for me to ignore the other aspect, the seedy, the underbelly of it. The, you know, the fact that these spiders are sold in the pet trade for profit. They are pulled out of their homes, natural environments. We can sit there. And again, people will come on and do the whole, yeah, well, if we don't do this, they're going to disappear in the wild. And the only way they might exist is in a collection. And I agree with that to some extent, but I do think we're actually ushering that on a little more quickly than it probably has to be it's tough like it's just a very difficult question so i don't know i'm still got the website open i'm still staring at these beautiful formictopus species i do want to place another order for marisus just whether or not it contains a formictopus uh, or whether i just draw the line and go all right this is i don't feel comfortable with this so i'm not going to do it and does it make me a hypocrite when two years from now somebody breeds them and i end up buying offspring from them Probably. <laughs> That's the sad truth of it. Like, obviously, somebody's going to get a hold of these. They're going to pair them up, and we'll hopefully get some more of them in the hobby. And it's going to be like, all right, that's one generation removed from the ones that were plucked right from the wild. I don't know. And and again, I I want to make it very clear. This isn't I'm not this is an indictment on Arisa's spiders. I plan on ordering from them again. It's more of, and this is something that years ago, I wouldn't have hesitated with. Years ago, I would have seen them went, oh, wild caught, we're great, awesome. We got some of these in the hobby. It's just, it's me personally been more cognizant of it. So it's like, I don't know if I can pull the trigger and buy them. Obviously, people are going to buy them. I hope people that buy them do get them for the purpose of breeding. And I hope, you know, we get them established in the hobby. But again, it's just been something I've been wrestling with personally and to see examples. You know, it's been a lot easier lately. I think I've been in the hobby long enough now that I know the ones that have been here for a while. And I also pay attention to the ones that are just discovered. And I'm very attuned to when we pull something out of the wild that's brand new entering the hobby that now I know where those come from. I'm not, I can't pretend to not understand anymore where we get our, our pets from. And it's just something I struggle with. So anyway, a little food for thought. Hopefully, again, hopefully at some point, I know my buddy Luis is looking into whether or not anybody is has anything in the works for Formictopus because it would be really, one thing that would probably prevent a lot of this is if people go in and study the genus and work on the taxonomy and discover that many of these are just color variants or whatnot, that would kind of stop all of that. Because as soon as you realize that your Formictopus species purple is just your Cancerides, then all of a sudden the demand isn't there anymore. Nobody's going to go out and pay 250 bucks or 200 bucks for a sling when it's just the same old Cancerides. Or a different variation, say, of Adachromatis, or just they find that some of the greens, although I will say looking at the Spermatheca of the greens, they do look like they're totally different, but maybe they find that certain ones are just different colorations of another species, whatever. That would help the situation because then it's not that crapshoot. Then it's not just let's go to a place that nobody has pulled a spider from before, pull a spider from that place and put it on the market as something brand new when it may indeed just be a different coloration or the same species, even just straight up the same species as something that's already been on the market for less price. It just... Ah, dare to dream <laughs> someday hopefully someday we'll have you know a nice little tidy formictivist genus and where we know we have you know this many species available in the hobby and that would be a, a, a huge dream of mine to see you know come to become reality it's someday but unfortunately we're not there right now and unfortunately they've become the newest designer spider that everybody's going to be picking them up so unfortunately i probably won't be able to keep up with everything that's out there anymore but it'll be fun to watch what everybody has and kick myself in the butt for not buying them later and 
pray just fingers crossed that people are breeding these and not wasting the opportunity to get a new spider into the hobby that we can have you know sustained breeding populations and make sure that at some point the prices come down and everybody can afford them so moving on from that one the next thing we're going to be talking about today is bad molts uh, weird little story here just a few weeks ago somebody contacted me and said they were looking actually it's been happened a couple times but there's one in particular where i believe it was an email and they asked about, you know, what to do when you have a bad molt. Could you do something on it? And I responded at the time. And it was one of those ones you kind of cringe when you said. I said, well, honestly, I've been very fortunate to not have any really bad molts in my career. Like, it's been something that I'm always waiting for and I've read about. And I've always, you know, watched what people do when it happens. But I like to speak from experience and I really don't have anything that fits the bill. I may have had ones that, the closest I've had, and we'll cover this one right from the get-go, the closest I've had is a situation where the spider molts and some of the abdominal skin stays on a little bit, or we had one case where the the carapace was still kind of stuck to the spider, and those aren't really, it didn't inhibit the spider's movement. It looked unsightly. It bothers you when your spider's got extra skin stuck to it. And it tends to be fairly simple to remedy that situation when it happens. What I've done in the past is if there's some abdominal skin, I take a paintbrush, a soft paintbrush with some warm water on it and carefully brush it over that particular spot of skin. And usually what happens is it gets in there, it moistens it up and it comes off. It'll either come off with the brush when you're doing it or later on the spider will be walking around. It'll dry up, crawl up and fall off. No problem carapace same i've done the same thing before where i've just kind of moistened down around the edge of the carapace and usually the carapace ends up popping off without much of a problem i've only had that happen a couple times i don't think i've ever had one lose a leg or get a leg i've had ones actually no no no. i did have one that its leg it got the molt got stuck to its leg one leg was like the, the very end of the leg was still stuck in it and what i did was basically went in and carefully used a tiny pair of scissors to trim away the extra molt around the leg as close as i could to the leg and then eventually it was moving around fine it hardened up and i think it still had a little piece of the leg on but it came off with the next molt so no real issues and when i said to this individual that i hadn't had any real issues i literally followed it with i don't want to jinx myself knock on wood well Apparently, I didn't knock on wood hard enough or knock on the right wood because about a week ago, right after I did the video with all my species, I was going around doing some watering and whatnot, and I, I looked up and my Pisolotheria formosa was on a shelf. I had one stacked on top of her, and I don't know what it was because I couldn't see very clearly into it because it was kind of in the back where it was kind of darker, and she's in a sterile container. It's kind of milky, and I, something caught my eye. And I was like, that looked weird. And I didn't even know what it was, but I took her out, sat her down, and opened it up, and it was like the shock of my life. She had started to molt. She had got her back legs out. It looks like she had gotten most of her front legs out. However, her pedipalps were currently stuck in the molt. The carapace was currently stuck on her back, and it looked like literally two spiders sandwiched together. And several of the legs on, I believe it was her right side, were all deformed, flopping around. 
it was a nightmare. And like immediately my heart sank. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I've had this spider now about seven years, raised up from a teeny tiny sling. She was due to get a new, I was going to put her into an enclosure with a plant. And I just wanted to see her in something prettier. And I have these big exoterra nanos, the talls, the 18, 18 inch tall by 12 by 12. And she was going to get one of those, but I was waiting for her to molt. I knew she was in pre-molt, waiting for her to molt out. She'd been in that cage for a while. It was kind of nasty. Couldn't wait to get her into the new one horrible situation and she's flapping around and she can't get out and at first I'm thinking oh the fangs are stuck but I could tell the fangs were out but the fangs looked a little the little creased like they had taken some damage while she was struggling and she was flapping around trying to get out and it was just heartbreaking so immediately went into you know doctor mode to try to figure out what to do with her so here is what happened we basically went down the garage found an old container washed it out put some paper towels in it, moistened them down. And again, I don't like to call it the ICU because I've explained before that the ICU thing is, it's great if you have a dehydrated tarantula or in this case, a tarantula that has just molted, is struggling to molt, is starting to dry out, could die from dehydration, could use a drink right after molt because sometimes they'll drink right after the molt. That's when they grab their old exoskeletons, they crunch them all up and they suck all the added moisture out of it. So I wanted a moist environment so she'd be hopefully loosen up some of the stuff that was still on her. Plus, if she needed a drink, she'd have it. And then I carefully picked the spider up, got her out of the old uh, tank and put her into this one. She did not look good, did not look good at all. And I came down and told Billy, I'm like, this is a nightmare up there. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. So I did take some footage of it. I have a hard time taking footage of spiders that are sick or struggling, but I thought, all right, God forbid we're able to pull her through this. This would be great information to have for somebody that might help somebody else with their spider later on. So I got some footage of her before she got out of the mole. Then I went to work. So for the carapace, again, I moistened down paintbrush. I got the carapace kind of moistened up. Carapace ended up coming off okay. I took a pair of scissors, went in and carefully trimmed away, making sure not to catch any of the, there was, I believe one leg was still caught in it. One of her right uh, forward leg was still caught in it along with her pedipalps. So I carefully trimmed all of the old molt around, took it out with tweezers. I felt bad because she was kind of struggling, obviously freaking out. She doesn't know what's happening. She's probably uncomfortable. She's trapped and some big guy with scissors is going around trimming off her, her molt, but eventually she kind of calmed down. I was actually afraid I lost her at one point, but we got most of it away. And then it was left with the the front part of the molt was still attached to her pedipalps and she was struggling. So at one point I grabbed one of the pedipalps right by where it connects to her, her cephalothorax and held on to it for a bit and she twisted and popped it right off. So there was one down. And I had, I luckily brought up the cornstarch from downstairs. I think cornstarch and some Q-tips and I used a Q-tip or cotton swab and just put a little bit on the end. Although she had pinched it off at the right spot, it wasn't bleeding out, but I just wanted to make sure. And then with the other one, I went over, did the same thing. I grabbed onto the other one. She twisted, popped that one off, which completely freed her from the molt, but left her without any pedipalps and with most of the legs on one side being fairly useless. And again, I used a little cornstarch on that area and then I left her to sit there and hopefully relax and calm down because that had to be incredibly stressful and I put her in a quiet corner so it was nice and dark and hopefully she could relax so the next day I came and checked on her it was not good like she looked terrible she was she was trying to obviously pokies want to stay up vertical usually on the you know on the side of something on the side of their enclosure on a cork bark whatever she was trying to get up on the side of the cage but you could tell half of her legs were all discombobulated and kind of 
crooked and not doing what she wanted. They were kind of fluttering around. It was really kind of gross and sad. So she wasn't able to get up there. She was kind of wedged in the corner. And I checked on her the next day. She had gone to the bathroom. So I went and I carefully moved her, cleaned up the paper towels, put another one in there, wet, moistened down only part of it this time in case she wanted to drink, but she didn't seem to be drinking out of it. Let a few more days pass. It got really warm up here. So I was hoping that would help too because sometimes the warm kicks up their metabolism and they harden up. So finally... I decided to try to feed her. Now, she doesn't usually, if you watch a spider eat, they grab it with their pedipalps. They hold it up there. They kind of use those like little hands, little arms to hold the prey as they do their thing. Plus, a lot of times they web and she wasn't able to really get up onto her feet and tiptoes like they usually do to web. So a lot of concerns. And then finally, while she was hardening up, I kept checking. She was up against the side of the plastic. I used the flashlight to check her fangs. Her fangs definitely, they were there, but they were definitely a bit deformed there was some damage to them as well. So I was not feeling really good about the situation. So I decided to try to entice her to eat by taking a cricket, pre-killing it, ripping it in half, ripping it apart, and kind of putting it right underneath where she was sitting. And I thought maybe that A, having the cricket not be mobile would help her easily, obviously, subdue. I won't say subdue. You can't subdue something that's already dead, but it obviously be able to latch onto it. And B, I figured that if there were some problems, she couldn't grip the cricket that she would be able to like kind of push her mouth down, parts down on it and be able to eat it that way. And I put them in before I went to bed, came down the next day and they were both, both pieces were still there. She hadn't touched them. She had moved the other side of the enclosure. They were kind of nasty. So I had to, again, clean the paper towels, take the paper towels out, put new paper towels in there. I put a water dish in this time, made sure that, you know, she had access, although I didn't think she could get into the water dish. She could definitely drink from the paper towels that I moistened down, but it would keep the moisture level up and put her back on the shelf. I waited a couple more days, and then the other day I, I pulled her down, I took a cricket and crushed its head, dropped it in, so it was somewhat mobile, figured maybe the the movement might attract her, and left her on my little, I have a little table, a little cart I used to go around and do feeding, and went down and did some work in the house, came back up later on. And she was eating the cricket. And I can't tell you how excited I was to see a spider eat. She had managed to grab it with her fangs and was holding it with her fangs as she masticated and ate it with her mouth, which was amazing. I was afraid it would be one of those situations where sometimes when they have issues with the fangs or whatnot, what you end up getting, they try to eat it, but all they end up doing is mashing the thing all up and you get this bolus that's bolus, it's all wet and kind of, it's just a mashed up cricket. They didn't really eat anything out of it. The bolus was a little tiny bolus where she had sucked the whole thing dry. So she had gotten all the nutrients out of it. She could absolutely beyond my, beyond thrilled. So I decided, all right, it's warm up here. And, and this is one of the situations that tarantulas can do what's like, they refer to it sometimes as like a fast molt or a quick molt, where if a tarantula molts and has severe problems, they can molt again quickly, more quickly than they normally would. They accelerate the molt cycle to repair the damage. So I'm hoping this is a situation where, especially with her metabolism being kicked up by it being quite warm up here, by the fact that I'm going to feed her quite well, that she'll be able to turn around within a month or so. So hopefully go back into pre-molt quickly, you know, molt and grow back some of these appendages and be a little more herself because she is still struggling to get around. Although I will say the second time I went to feed her, I took the top off it and she kind of scuttled around almost like a, almost like a normal pokey. You could tell she was having a little difficulty with her locomotion, but she was able to get around somewhat decently. So, so far she's eaten seven times. I'm only giving her one cricket at a time instead of like three or four that I'd normally give my pokies. 
She'll eat the cricket, give her a little time off, give her another one. So she's eating quite a bit now. Seems to be a little more healthy, a little more active. I'm keeping her in that container until she molts out. I'm not putting her back into another container with substrate where it's going to be more difficult for her to find the prams. The idea now is to keep her in something that I can monitor her, that I can easily make sure the moisture levels don't dip down too low and to make sure that she can find the prey easily and then hopefully get another molt out of her. And this ends up being something that we can talk about later on as a success story as far as a bad molt because this by far is the worst molt I've ever seen one of my tarantulas have. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming... There was years ago, my peace dermy female molted. She had no problem with the molt, came out of it, looked great, seemed to be active, and then mysteriously died a month later. So I can only assume something bad happened during that molt. But physically, by the naked eye, you couldn't see anything that had happened that could have caused that damage. This was the first one where something was stuck that badly and in that bad of shape, you know, to the point where trying to fight to get out of the molt, she actually damaged her other limbs. That, that was a tough one, did some damage to her fang. So fingers crossed this goes well i will keep people updated with it i am taking periodic video i did get video of her eating the other day which was amazing some of the best feeding footage i've ever got uh, you know obtained in my life as far as i'm concerned because so happy to see her eating she seems to be alert fingers crossed this goes well because it's not again it has nothing to do with the video i could care less about the video crap it's, it's more about I love the spider. It's I love my pokies. I don't want to see anything happen to them in my care. And to be able to have her come back from this and, and do well would be amazing. Because there was some concern. I mean, she's not that old. Seven years old really isn't that old for a pokey. But she is an older female. She's been an adult for a while. And sometimes that's what ends up taking them down. With the older specimens, you know, they molt and something goes wrong in the molt. Or they end up dying in a molt because they're just too old to go through the process. And that's something I worried about. But she's not that old yet. And I'd really like to think that she's going to pull through this. Molt, get some little, you know stubby spare legs in kind of like the spare donut tires you get on a car because it'll be a little bit uh, smaller than the other legs and some stubby little pedipalps and we'll get her in that new enclosure that she deserves so here's hoping she does well and here's hoping eventually you know a couple months down the road i get to do a video that will hopefully help some people out because i'll tell you this is the first time i had to deal with something like this i'd read about it i prepared for it and I'm just glad it went well because there's nothing worse than seeing an animal suffering. And there's always that point where you look at, there was a point where I was looking at her going like, would it be best to take her out and euthanize her so she doesn't have to suffer anymore? Because I, you know, at what point does it become you're just as the owner being selfish because you, you don't want to lose the spider, but you're not taking into account the animal is probably in pain and suffering. But luckily that doesn't seem to be the case. She seems to be doing well. I'm really hoping that this turns into something we can talk about later on that'll help other people. And that'll be that'll be a video I look very forward to putting together. You know, again, I don't know. She had a tough time with this molt. I can't figure out anything. She had moisture in her closure. She had access to water. She had been well fed. I'm not sure why it went wrong. So sometimes when they have a bad molt and survive, sometimes the next one's the one that does them in. So until she molts out of this, I'm going to be stressed out about it, but let's just hope she pulls through because it'd be a really, again, I'd have my spider is the most important thing. And hopefully I'll have some information, be able to put some stuff up there that'll help other people that might experience this. So that'll about do it for this one. Uh, I have been finally, I know this has been a running joke. I've had a couple people that every time I say it kind of give me a hard time, but I'm finally putting some new articles up on the website. I want to get going with that. I kind of, I forgot how, how much fun that is. I enjoy that. I enjoy writing. I enjoy doing the articles. The only issue is I start with something that's going to be like a thousand word article. And by the time it's done, it's like 4,000 words because I can always think of other stuff to put in it. And unlike the, you know, 
The videos, you have to trim everything down big time. The podcasts, I can run off in the mouth for hours and just keep talking and talking and talking, but once they're out, they're out. So if you think of something after the podcast is up that you missed, you can't change it. With the articles, I can always go back and revise. And I love that because I've put stuff up before, gone back, reread it, and gone, nope, you know what? This is different. I want to change this so I can keep it up to date that way. So I love that aspect of it and I want to get back into it. And hopefully, you know, some folks will find, you know, some people like seeing the visualization of it. Some people like listening to the stuff as they ride to work and they're but I know there are people who like to print things out, highlight and take notes on them the old school way. So it gives them that alternative. So really excited about that. I got one coming up that most people probably won't care about, but it's about whether or not tarantulas make good pets or not. I've been working on that for a long, 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 long time and just never finished it up. And so we finally got that one done and we've got a couple other things coming up. I just put one up for Hapalopus species Columbia large with kind of a new format for the care guides. Again, try to be as thorough as possible with those and uh, just enjoying it. And I, now we got the summer. I'll hopefully get up, you know, get some new stuff up there because I realize it's been over a year, which kind of blew my mind. That it, it, most people I probably realize now, but that's how I started off doing that website and doing that that blog. And it was so much fun, so rewarding for so many years. And then, fortunately, as I got into other, you know, YouTube and the podcast, that kind of went by the wayside. So it feels good to get back to it. And so hopefully some people check some of that stuff out there and I'll start throwing those up on Facebook as well. So people are aware of them because I know there's still people that don't even realize that I do the website, which is weird because back in the day, it was people didn't realize that I had a YouTube channel or a podcast. So eh, things change. So anyway, that'll do it for this one. As always, guys, stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.